Hey there, film fans. I am Jeff. I am Dave. And I'm John, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. Any negative criticism about a film is absolutely allowed, but you will be called out for it, and you will have to take a drink every time. That goes for us, goes for you at home. This is a drinking game. He's very adamant this is a drinking game. So if you hear this sound, <laughs> that means someone's negative and you have to drink. Then pour yourself a glass, join us, give it up for the films we love and perhaps the films we need some love. That that needs some love. I'm drunk already. Sorry, fellas. Let's just go. What are we doing, Jeff? <clears throat> Guys, so excited that we're back for week six of our Corona franchise face-off. That's right. We are living in the age of the coronavirus Side note, that is why my audio is not fantastic. John and Dave decided to bring their audio equipment with them. Nice, I nice. did not. <laughs> Whoops. So I apologize for the quality of my audio. Anyway, this is the Corona era. And so we decided to do a franchise face-off where we were going to come up with the best franchises or trilogies to watch, to binge watch. And we were going to rank them up against each other. We seeded our favorite 16. Lord of the Rings was our one seed. It did advance along with... The Godfather, Star Wars, Toy Story, John Wick, and Back to the Future. Nope, I just lied. And Star Trek mm-hmm. have all advanced. <laughs> is, that a, thinking, is, that a, is that the first fucking... Anyway, um, and today we have two more fantastic film franchises to go on and on about. But first, I'm going to kick it over to John for some shout-outs. All right, as usual, we want to throw a big thank you to our beer sponsor, Carlos Barroso. We do not have his beers in our hands. Once again, I am very sad about it. So many tears. Give him a follow on Instagram at cbarrozobar2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And as always, the, the music you hear... time we have those beers back, I'm going to be so negative. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I know, I just cannot wait. I miss them so much. He keeps sending me all these great pictures of all the beers that he was saving for us drinking them making them anyway carlos we miss you we miss your bruise hope you're doing well brother and as always the music you hear at the beginning middle end throughout all the music on this episode and every episode here on the love of cinema is by the artist dasein that is dasein d-a-s-e-i-n go check them out at soundcloud.com backslash dasein dash artist all right, let's. Is do it backslash? This. I think it's slash, man. I think it's a forward slash. Is it backslash the tilted one? And but regular dash? Well, they're both fucking tilted. I mean, one's no, no, a no. dash. One's and two the horizontal one is a regular, regular slash. Backslash. Man, that's, that's this, a dash. this is horseshit. I thought the dash was a Look in the description. <laughs> yeah, you will find it. will be the right slash in there. There's a motherfucking parental advisory on this motherfucking We're talking about a very family friendly franchise, and I just want people to know, especially if you're one of my students who's eight years old. One of them is a family friendly franchise, the other is the opposite of that. I Wait, they think. never say yippee Kaye motherfucker in the Harry Potter series? Was, I yeah. swear. <laughs> All right. I feel Dave. like McGonagall implied it at one point. Oh my gosh. Dave, Dave yeah. why don't you introduce the films for this week? All right. So uh, in this bracket, we're putting Harry Potter, the entire franchise, up against the Die Hard franchise. Let, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Not the... Um, please tell me you're not including the fantastic the Beasts. Eddie Redmayne. Shit. Yeah, no, no, no. Just one no, through eight. No, no we're not one including through seven. this. Movies no spin-off eight. money grabs. 
<laughs> Sorry, Eddie. How are they going to make five? That story has no more legs. They've sawed both their legs off. It Honestly, cannot possibly last. You're totally they're, right. they're thanking God for the coronavirus so they could rewrite this thing one more time. <laughs> a shot. Seriously. Dave, no, you're totally Dave right. They just said the Harry Potter franchise and Warner Brothers are thanking God for the coronavirus. <laughs> Also, shout out, I'm drinking Corona Extra in honor of the coronavirus. Yeah, All right, everybody, we are going to talk about our sixth seed first. Our sixth seed is Harry Potter. And I wanted to make it very clear at the top here, as we start talking about this, that this is in context with, compared to other franchises, not as a pure comparative, right? So we're going to talk for a little bit about Harry Potter. It's not just about Harry Potter. There's enough Harry Potter content out in the world right now. The way we are going to be discussing it is more or less... What is it like watching all eight movies? Um, how does the artistry, what they wanted to accomplish, the filmmaking, et cetera, how does it, how does it make you feel? Is it, how rewatchable is it, right? Is it as rewatchable as our one C Lord of the Rings, for instance? So that is gonna be sort of our jumping off point. Um, we can go in a million different directions. Does anybody have an itch to kick this off? Besides talking about how there is one significant crossover into our other franchise, which is, the angel oh, yeah. above us right now, Alan Rickman. Oh my God. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> earlier today. We'll, we'll start about, with that. Shout out to Aaron Rick, Alan Rickman. You, you will was, never hear a buzzer associated with Alan Rickman. My God. The man is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the best. Like, like, so let's see. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to be a little careful that we don't slip into talking about the Harry Potter, just the story and the books. And we are talking about the movies, right? You guys, the way we did with Lord of the Rings, like the yes. world. Yeah, but the way you say that, books, you make me nervous as I know, shit. No, no, but we're like, the way we were talking about Lord of the Rings, we're going to be discussing Harry Potter the same way. So all three of us are big fans of the books, I think, as well. And we love, like, the world and everything. But for this conversation, we are, we are talking about the movies only, right? You're scaring me, John. Mm-hmm. You make me nervous. No, I mean, let's just, uh, let's just, let's just jump right in. Uh, did you guys see these uh, in the theater? Or did you, for some reason, not watch them when they came out? Did you, watch, did you read the books before you saw the movies? Uh, I, I I didn't. Um, I read I read the books after. I saw me the too. Movies. Me I, too. I waited for the entire like I got I think five movies in. I'm like I'm gonna have to read these books and find out, you know, what the the story itself is and whether it holds up on that end. And I didn't. I I made a a almost a pact with myself not to read them until the story was done on film because I didn't want spoilers. I didn't want anything to be said or to be sitting there going oh they didn't miss that they didn't include that they didn't include that and so i didn't read the books until afterwards yeah i'm the same way to the horror of my friends i i did i had i had read the first four and then before the eighth movie or seven part two i reread all the books and then kept going where i'd stopped so i read five and six and seven before watching eight if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i think uh all right so i guess i kind of wanted to come at it from that angle because I did the same thing. And I think that is the best way to really talk about if movies that are adapted from books hold up. Um, these movies are, are great. Like everyone is another quest tale, another hero's journey. You know, the, obviously J.K. Rowling definitely took a lot of influences from other really famous fantasy works, Lord of the Rings. Um, so, <laughs> yep, I'm drinking, I'm drinking. <laughs> But you're saying so, Dumbledore and Gandalf are completely different, or what? I mean, we could start with that. Hey, I have a Frodo lot of respect Harry for Potter, her. Are they different? I have a lot of respect for her. For Dumbledore is my favorite character, and I like the moral and ethical ambiguity that she brings 
to Dumbledore. Um, when you're done with that whole fucking show, sorry, folks, there are going to be spoilers in this. If you haven't seen Harry Potter yet, crawl out of your fucking rock and go turn these spoilers on. He's a wizard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When you find out at the end through Snape's, that wonderful, his tears, when he finally gets to see the memory and you finally realize that Dumbledore, that motherfucker knew the entire time that Harry was going to have to kill himself. And Snape is like, so you're basically raising him to be killed. Like when the time is right. And the answer is yes, obviously. So I like that there was, Unlike Gandalf, who completely operates on a, that typical, uh, the fantasy, positive virtue, hope. He always, he talked, Gandalf mentions all the time about hope. Dumbledore has this knowledge, and he always knows more than everyone else, and he is manipulating the entire world around him, including our boy, protagonist, Harry Potter, to one day be slaughtered. He knew he was going to have to sacrifice him one day, so... I do respect that there are differences that are strong enough for this world and these movies and the books and everything to stand alone, even though everyone loves to jokingly compare them to Lord of the Rings. Do you guys do you guys agree with that? Or do you think you feel like you're watching a lot of imitations and different characters and different archetypes and stuff? I mean, it's a, it's a famous anecdote that there are no original stories. I mean, that's not entirely true. We've seen some really original stuff come out in cinema lately mm-hmm. um, in the last I want to say five to 10 years. Um, but in this case, I think they took a familiar trope and, or she took a familiar trope and made it her own and went where it took her. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think she's, I don't think she's duplicating. If anything, she's building on what came before. Yeah. I think I agree with you, dude. Um, so just real fast, cause I want to kick it to you guys about this since two out of three of us had that exam, same exact situation. Jeff, you said you did read the books first, right? I had read the first four okay. and watched the movies, and I just didn't read five and six because they were long, and I thought, I don't know. I don't know why. Okay, so... But then, I, but then before the final movie, I had reread all the books. So I had not read the books, and I remember just like everyone else, every, you know, we all went to go see them with your families, your friends and stuff. Maybe you saw it more than once, and all my family members and friends who had read the books really fucking loved it, and they were pretty satisfied with the adaptations. I remember not being able to follow the story as well as I wanted to, having not read the books. I, I don't know if you guys felt that way, but I remember thinking, I don't, I, ha, I, I didn't know what I, what I was missing, but I had a hunch that there was a lot of information that wasn't in the adaptations. And it felt a little clunky to me. Of course, I read the books eventually, and it, it's fine. You know, I know all the details now. I know what they don't put in there. But I remember thinking before I had read those, that I just, it did not click with me as standalone movies, the way it was clicking with the fans who knew every detail. Do you guys feel I like can, that's true? I can agree with that. I have exactly the same note here. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it relies on the books, in the early films in particular, it relies on the books to fill in the blanks. Okay, so I, um, yeah, tell I, me. Like when I, for, for instance, when I watched the first movie, I didn't even realize that was over an entire school year until the second time I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Like they didn't. They didn't really? do passage of time. Yeah, they didn't like do it a, well at there's all. A, there's always a Christmas. holidays. They always do it with holidays. There's always a Christmas moment because they get. They always got released at Christmas, so I knew that. And there's usually a Halloween of some kind, even if it's just decoration. They try to let you know that. Yeah, they didn't really. I was all right. Telegraph that, so, that well. So here's yeah, 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 they always talk about that. finals. They always say there's finals at the end. So here's my yeah. biggest criticism with these movies. I'm going to kick it off and tell you if you guys agree with this. I do not understand why they did not copy Lord of the Rings and make extended versions. They tried to jam all of the book 
they still ended up leaving out a good amount of information. I'm not I'm not trying to contradict myself, but they it felt it feels like they try to jam everything into somewhere between 220 and like 240. Those are like the average length of these movies. And I just don't yeah, understand I don't, I don't why they don't have extended versions. And they just I don't know if they, they needed extended versions. I don't think it was they left stuff out of the books. I think it was just shoddy screenwriting in the first couple. Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, there are some big I mean, story elements. Uh, Hermione's whole movement with freeing the elves, the whole issues in the last three books when the kids start learning about the prejudice and racism against the goblins and like mm-hmm. all the history. There's huge things that would have increased the character development that I really appreciated in the books because it gave you something other than the plot to learn about how they were feel how they were developing as young people as young adults and they're not in the movies at all it's just straight plot in the movies and i just don't understand i i know i would have bought those extended versions i i feel like people would they would have been able to make a killing they had the kids at the right ages so that's my only general negative criticism about these movies is that i think they feel a little clunky especially the first few dave because they are trying to fit as much in as they can. Hit me with that buzzer. I, I, I do disagree. I'm a, I stand. Um, I would honestly, I, I would think about this all week. I, I might reseed this up to my number two seed yeah. in this series. Um, and it's definitely, it's number one, it's world building. For whatever reason. And the hardest part about one and two, I, I, I didn't find the plot clunky, but I guess I, I don't know exactly what you mean. Because I was never unsullied, so to speak. Like, I always was familiar enough. And, <laughs> Well, and you know, I mean, especially the first one, like Chris Columbus, can you imagine introducing every single thing? Everything, every single thing is introduced in the first yeah. book, you know? In fact, that's the, the only negative criticism I would have about the movies, and I, I've eaten shit over this for the years, is they didn't do what Game of Thrones did better than in any series ever, which is they they plant seeds that aren't going to blossom for seasons. And my prime example, which again, I eat a lot of shit for, is how was Cedric Diggory the most popular kid in school and we had no idea who the fuck he was until year There's four? There's a lot of how things like not, that. Yeah. How did they not bump into him in the hallway? That's the only, honestly, that's it. Otherwise, I like Harry. <laughs> Great. Great. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a little but, one, you still but, get one. But, but to get away from that, I think the thing that sells this story, and, and yeah, the story in one, for instance, all of a sudden it's like, okay, can we just get to the villain? Can we get to Harry confronting the villain? Can we get to the... That we know the conflict's looming, but obviously it's going to be a series-wide conflict, and this is a movie. It's like it, it doesn't do what Game of Thrones does, which is like, oh, don't worry, Daenerys's dragons need to grow up, so get over it. It'll happen later. Like in this, <laughs> you need you need a plot. You need it to come to fruition, and and the, the end always leaves you a little bit loose. So there's a before and after for me, which is always the first three and then the next four, and you can tell just by the book something happened where she doubled the length of the books and went in depth. It's almost like she didn't really know that the story could be what it was. Whereas George R. R. Martin, when he wrote the first Game of Thrones book, was like, this is what is going down. This do has you been think, 30, 40 years of my life. Do you think she did that? Okay, so every time I bring this up, because again, I read these books for the first time. This is crazy, but I didn't read them until last year. I'd read the first one much younger, and I just didn't read them anyway. So I finally went down that hole last year, and I talked with a lot of friends about it who were huge Harry Potter fans. And they all immediately, whenever I say what you just said, Jeff, they all immediately come back with, yes, but that's why they're so good, because you get to grow up with Harry. And they, they get longer and more that's, complex that's as you true. grow up that with is, Harry. That is the best part about the series. That's the best part. <clears throat> I am it's very... like boyhood. Everything you want out of boyhood, you get in a fictional series with Harry Potter. Yeah. I remember thinking... I was very jealous that I did not read them when I was younger and get to, it didn't feel the same reading them as a man in his thirties. 
as I probably would have felt reading them as a, a younger person it was, who's it was getting cool. to grow. It was up. really cool. Um, but I really uh, thought it was Hermione for like seven years. I know everybody did. Nobody no fucking idea. knew. Why would thing. I? Why would I have known that was Hermione? Why would I have known that? Here's just something. The first time they just give me a, a a guide like of how to pronounce this shit. I do like that. I do like that J.K. Rowling wrote the screenplay with Steve Close. He's definitely had the. I think he was at the helm mostly, but she was there with him. So that's pretty cool that somebody who was that famous, you know, for writing something like this. She that, did not write the screenplay. Did he did he only write them by himself? I still she, feel like she, she consulted. She approved it. Yeah, she consulted. Of course, of course with she approved him, it. Sure. She didn't even have anything to do with casting until after they said this is our favorites, and then she called them. But she didn't actually have much to do with the movies at all because she hadn't finished the books yet and she didn't want the film to clot her mind. So she gave script approval, production approval, sets, costumes, all that kind of such, and then backed away. Man. Um, are there elements in the movies that you think are better than the books? Ooh, good question. Um, as they go on, I yes. actually... The second wait, one? Dave, go ahead, Dave. As, as, no, as they go on. Like, once, once you get to, like, Goblet of Fire and stuff, the, certain things that they included started for me outshining the books i mean they still leave some things out but the movies really find their ground and start to stand on their own yeah from like three onwards i agree especially when you get to david yates's films the last three yeah last three or four i mean alfonso did a really good job in three so alfonso Cuarón directed Mm. three chris columbus just to be clear chris columbus the director of home alone and mrs doubtfire in many ways was the perfect choice for this and i I have a quote from daniel radcliffe where he, he was talking about chris columbus and what he said is Chris Columbus got the enthusiasm out of the younger actors better than anybody could have because he was on set. He was so cheerful. He was so joyous. And you're, you're shooting nine months. And a lot of these kids that gave up their school life, you know, so you're going to have sad days, 11-year-olds who haven't seen their friends in months, um, who have to do, like, interviews with magazines and stuff while they're filming this. And so the, the enthusiasm that Chris Columbus got, it was great. But mm. you find the faults in the books in like which are not many of them but ultimately it's like really that's the trap that you set for the sorcerer's stone it's like a chess game <laughs> no i'm serious though really and and what's funny is when you're reading the books you just you're just so excited to be on harry's journey you're like oh god i hope it works out and really like all right yeah it's so come on really devil snare like whoever's gonna know isn't gonna know like oh devil snare you relax or you shine light like you these people can can apparate like of course they're going to be able to figure that out if they're real brilliant wizards so with the best part about the movies moving forward is how the filmmakers aged not just the characters but the story and how they Hmm. made it subtle enough that when you're watching them in sequence they didn't course correct so even alfonso he did a brilliant job there's no sunlight really in any of his movies right where you get to the david yates it's even darker right but if they just did that out of out of the blue the the willow the, the tree in the second one with Ron's car was a little cartoonish with, with Alfonso. It's almost like a human being. It's almost like an actual villain character. So he like nudged everything along Four was directed by, um, uh, Mike Newell and four might be the best movie. I don't know. A lot of people think it's the best movie. It's probably probably my favorite and they get the benefit of having the other schools there and they have tasks so you can follow the timeline and the story and the conflict. And then of course it ends with the amazing scene where Voldemort comes to life. But then, yeah, that that is a, that was an awesome villain introduction to the end of that film. Yeah. So, so really, so, it's I, like, think it's yeah, best, I think it's the best. I think it's the best book. Yeah, well. and then, 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 then yeah, we're gonna kill some people. 
to, to, to finish my point really quick, the one thing that I think the movies do better is the books, it's almost like book five, they say, okay, wait, this is where Harry's pubescent. And then he's just angry the whole book. Um, Ron getting jealous of Harry for four, it just doesn't click really. For some reason in the movie, the way that it all segues from, from one to eight, I think that they do a really, really good job in the movies. Hmm. maybe even also, better in the books it's hard also, to compete a, with that but it works for me a quick formula i go by if you're going to sit down and watch this with your kids is pretty much it's appropriate for audiences of about how old harry potter appears minus two <laughs> yeah it's too bad too because ultimately and because they, it does they get more intense years. as it goes in it like it but it gets more intense one as it goes two. in. Like, yeah. Chamber of Secrets. He's 15 years old looking. I think he that, goes from 11 to 15. Yeah, the beginning of uh, what is it? The beginning of five or six, where Voldemort's having that meeting and that woman is levitating the teacher, and they're he's, he's holding oh, her in the Cruciatus curse, mm-hmm. and she, she's and she's like being five. tortured. Like, five. Yeah, I think that's number five. Um, so one thing about these, uh, yeah, first, so yeah, let me throw my little two cents in there. I really. I really respect and I really appreciate, and it's mostly David Yates' films that that get to do this. It's not just because he's... I like his films the most, I think, but it's not just because I like him. He had the last several films, and I really... Yeah, I really love how he handles the wand action. Like, I like their battling. I like the way they battle. Like, the very end of the whole fucking thing, when it's just Harry and Voldemort in the courtyard versus... I think in the book it ends in the main room and everyone is surrounding them in like a circle. Mm-hmm. I like that mm-hmm. it's yeah. lonely. I like how they, that class, I can't remember what they call it, but when the wands meet, uh, yeah. that, whatever that word is, I like how they showed uh, that. Fun fact about those two, um, depending on what spell they're casting, the wand outputs a different um, texture. Hell yeah. Yes. Cool. yes, 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 yes. That's very good. Which is, and you know, it's very different than... Um, Jeff, I kind of wanted to ask you about this. Here's a little side note, listeners. Uh, I remember you told me about this one time, and I thought it was interesting. I'm curious if you thought about it this week, that you did not enjoy how the magic looked in the world of Harry Potter movies. Like, it looked too, I think you said the word mechanical. Do you still feel that yeah, way? Yeah, funny. Um, yes, but no. It's, it's weird. This time watching it. So, yes, what I've said in the past is that they make magic make too much sense in the movies. So it's almost like it could be done by, ro- by robotically. Yeah, and yeah. I'll give an example. Um, With the opening of uh, Diagon go, Alley, number entered, one. When they opened a Diagon Alley yeah. and they click the bricks and the bricks just yeah. like, like, it's almost yeah. like they're doing a game of Jenga or something. They're like, click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just did, I pictured magic to be a little bit more seamless than that. Oh, uh, the elevator sequence. The elevator being yeah. so r- rigidy. Like why? when they go to the Ministry yeah, of Magic. Why would it be like that? There. Yeah. <laughs> And and it's like I know that it needs to to fit to the for me watching it this time it was more so that it seemed like they needed it to be that way to make sense that it was in London and not just in an ethereal like like in Brigadoon basically um, so it worked better for me this time but yes that has in the past and magic to me just, it's like just if I want something to appear it just appears I don't need something to transform into something like as if a science experiment does it feel it does it I feel it to be surreal does it feel gimmicky to you sometimes like th- there are some mo- like the wand stuff like i said there are some of the magic that i like even more than the books and i think that they visually we're talking about movies so of course it's all about how they translate this stuff cinematically some of the stuff i think works better than the way she described it in the book and some of the stuff i totally agree with you it kind of feels like a, a visual movie gimmick just so they can go on a on this the elevator ride you know as opposed to it just yeah. happening 
And then you think and, about and that's in, Game of Thrones or, I mean, I or took, the Rings. I, I took it with use... the, ele- the ele- in particular the elevator you keep using example. I took it as the Ministry of Magic is yeah. living so much in the past they haven't updated a thing. That's good too. And yeah, I, I'm starting to pick up that more on that this time. And part of the reason that I upped this to my two seed, whereas I kind of was in favor of ranking it where it is now, which is our six seed, is um, the rewatchability. I really thought the more I would see it, the more I would be like, this could be the last time I do this. I, I don't need to do this again. And that's not the case for me. Nah, I think the yeah. rewatchability is very, very high. And it's not in a childish way because you get into like little tiny snippets. For me, Lupin, mm-hmm. not serious. For him, me, dude. Lupin especially. <laughs> it's so like good. he drops these lines. Like the, like the one line that killed me in the books, which does a really good job in the movie, is Dumbledore, basically when he's Gandalf the White in, at the end, after Harry dies and he has to go back to life. and he says the line where are you over in king's cross station anyway um he says the line he's like just because it's happening in your head doesn't make it not real um so those kind of lines hit me and and going back there are more and more of them they're just more subtle a lot of them are serious is so it's like you roll your eyes every time they say like oh you look like your dad but yeah oh my mother's eyes i know and it's like you roll your eyes a little bit at that it's like okay well they have to do this so at least they i think they're self-aware so to what you're saying about like is it gimmicky it was in the first movie or two, and I think they knew it was, and I think they were very self-aware about it, and they eased their way out of it brilliantly, so that by mm. the final movie, there's no gimmick. And I think the reason that the seventh part two, the last movie, has the highest rating, not necessarily the one that I want to watch again, but like the highest rating, is because all of the pieces, it, it, they, it did seem like everything was leading up to it, as opposed to... I'll use Star Wars for an example. And, it's like this has to fucking end. Like I really felt like they brilliantly got everything there, and I don't know how they could have done it better. And all Kudos. the threads were closed too. Like everyone's almost yeah. everyone's story was wrapped up. Everyone think, got the hero moment. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. what. Uh, yeah. yeah. What about the? Sorry, John. No, yeah, no. Just, just really quickly. I think it. I think you're right. I think one reason why the magic seems more the the, the emotional stakes of the characters are much higher as the movies go on. So when magic gets used in the latter movies, it's usually in defense. It's not opening Diagon Alley for the first time and watching the bricks move. It's fucking Dumbledore swirling fire around that fucking <laughs> lake so that he can save Harry from those things. I mean, like, you, 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 don't have, you don't have the capacity emotionally as an audience member not to be invested in the necessity of the magic. And so I, I didn't care at all that it turned into a huge spectacle in the last two, like two or three, four movies. It was, it was totally justified. Maybe that's part of it as well, that it's not just because you're watching magic. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm gonna pass it, I'm gonna pass it to Dave in a second, but what I would say is to regarding the spin-offs, that's what you wanna see more of. Harry was not capable of doing the things that Dumbledore and Voldemort did with the swirling of the glass and the water and such. So how is it when you do a spin-off, you don't address that? You don't say, Okay, this is what the big boy magic the big boy magicians do. This is what the big boy wizards Thank you for do. saying why that. Why do you just say Thank you? Why do you yes. just why do you do a spin-off where it's just like, hey, by the way, reminder, in the Fantastic Beasts, it's all Eddie Redmayne's fault. Really. He just lets all the animals loose, and then he tries to catch them and wrap them up, and that's the plot of the first movie. What the fuck? Show us what the big boys are doing. Dude, Dave, you're totally to you. right. Visual... Thank you. Uh, that, that might, that, all right. So stupid. Dave, Dave, get ready with the buzzer, because I will say that is the only thing that confused <laughs> me. It almost seemed like Dumbledore and the big boys, Grindelwald and the spinoffs, Grindelwald, whatever the fuck you pronounce it, it almost seems like, like magic that they have this other level of knowledge of the of the technique and the craft of magic that no one ever discusses like how do you how do you learn how to do what they do or is it just they're born with it I don't know. she never ever she never goes into detail on the differences in the level that is the only thing that 
that frustrates me, and it's very apparent in the movies. Mm. Yep. I'm going to buzz you for that, but it's very even though we're not meant to movies. be talking about these movies. <clears throat> no, but you're right. You're right. It's, I think it's even more apparent in the movies than when you're reading it. I didn't think about that very much when I was reading it, but it is very noticeable in the book. I mean, in the in the movies yeah. where you're like, how the fuck does, do they just know and how you to thought, do that? You thought they would get there by seven, Game of Thrones. You thought that the dragons would grow up by seven. It didn't. Harry, okay, he can kill and he can expel Yarmus. Voldemort, great, but can he make glass swirl? You know, and he didn't get there, which is fine. I'm not going to fault them for that. I'm just saying if you you have to address that in the spin especially off. since she Close, that's the only loose end yeah, in close up. No, especially me. because she almost does it with a few different skills. Like it's she makes a huge deal over the Patronus yeah, charm, where you can, which is yeah, and you and you don't have to say it. You can think it like yeah. that kind of stuff. They kind of hinted. But at when it. he's mm-hmm. doing, um, Dave, let's kick in the Dumb- real fast. We'll pass it to Dave in the Dumbledore army sequence in number five when he's teaching everyone how to do Patronus and. Uh, expect the Patronum and the stupefy and all the basic charms. And then they go face off against, uh, what are they called? Where they go into the dementors, not the dementors, um, the death eaters. Yeah. The death eaters. When they go finally fight them at the end of five in the storage place and they get the prophecy and they're using these like beginning level things against these people. And I kind of was thinking, yeah, (laughs) I mean, that whole fucking movie, the whole entire series comes down. Here's one for the movies. I'm going to give it up to the movies. Like I said, the charms, I think, are better in the movies. This whole fucking book series ends with Harry doing Expelliarmus. Yeah. How the fuck you say it? On Voldemort. And they still <laughs> ultimately do have that wand fall out, like fly out. He doesn't say the words Expelliarmus. I like how it's him and them doing the, on the courtyard, him and Voldemort. And it's the huge wand battle, and then it comes out. Because she just fucking ends it with him saying Expelliarmus. Anyway, Dave, get in there. I know. Dave, Dave, <laughs> I, I've been talking about how the, 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 the depth ages. I think the effects do, too. The effects get off to a rocky start in one, especially the way yeah. they fly. What do you yep. what do you think about it? Do you, do you forgive it because they grow through the series? Like, how do you feel about that? I, I do. I mean, it is a bit of a culture shock going back to the first ones and watching you know, the Quidditch matches and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, this is very obviously CG. It looks like the fight in the second Matrix, right? Yeah. Same year, yeah, same year Lord of the Rings 1 comes out. Same year Lord but of the yeah. Rings 1 comes out. But yeah, you do, you do forgive it. And you do forgive it because, again, it's what filmmakers do. They learn as they go along. And it was a lot of the time it was similar effects team, all of effects teams working on these. They learn new procedures. They learn new techniques. They manage to get, you know, to where they did with like giant fucking swells of fire and it looks awesome. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I do forgive them for that. And I, I think it's, it's like when you watch the original Star Wars and then like watch the prequels straight after it. I mean, if you're saying they exist this week, <laughs> but like the culture shock of like, where did all this technology go? Yeah. Which one is y'all's favorite movie? Four. I go four than Goblet, three. Goblet of Fire. John? More than three. That's no, that's good. It's Alfonso's is probably one of them. Although you know his is the shortest. Did you guys know that? Great. I'm pretty sure his nope. is the tightest. Um, I really love that book. I think four was my favorite book, yeah. but I really enjoyed reading three. First time you get to meet Sirius and all that stuff. Yeah. But I don't know, dude. There's something about those David Yates films. I I was telling this earlier to my friend. Um, there are two reasons why I I want to know this for you guys too. Uh, for me, there are two reasons, and they're specific, why I usually tr- go back and take the Harry Potter journey, why I want to go on this quest again. And it's either the first 
one, which is the first couple movies, where I want that, you said it, Christopher Columbus, what, he, what Daniel Radcliffe said, that enthusiasm of just the young naivete of getting to learn about the world of Hogwarts and the Harry Potter and the fact that it's not truly a secondary world because it still exists on Earth. It's not a, a made-up place. It's still real. And then the other reason is, as I get older, I find myself wanting to go back to this world because of these movies the most. I want to see the kids, the kids, the young adults alone, like Frodo and Sam in five, six, and seven, and eight, where they are on their own hunting horcruxes, and it's sad, and there's melancholy, and there's stakes they're through the roof, and there's so much consequence to everything they do. What is it? Is it the end of four where Hermione says to Harry, nothing's ever going to be the same again, is it? And he's like, no, it isn't. And I, so there's like that, the whole story for me, especially in the movies, is like neatly divided into one through three and most of four until Cedric dies and then Cedric's death to the end. Do you guys, yeah. do y'all feel the same way? Like, why and do you that, usually that, come back yeah. to these movies? The world. The world. Yeah. And I like the characters, but the world more so than that. Nice. Just in general, you come back to the world? Like, you just, you just yeah. want the whole thing? Is there any movie that you kind of, do you ever start out of order? Do you ever just go for one out of order? Or yeah. do you always start it's, it's with mood, one? Though. It's mood-based. It's, it's different. I wanted six recently. I just really wanted to see six. Oh, Even my God. Half-Blood like Prince. Much. The, the, book, the oh, book ending is better, but I love it. I love it. We're running out of time. I, I, I had a list of reasons why I come back to this, but we have run out of time. We're uh, well over half an hour. Oh, uh, Harry. So Harry <laughs> we're going to have to wrap this one up. All right. And we'll just we'll discuss it a little more in the uh in the contentious argument at the end of this. Um and we'll be back with uh Die Hard. Die Hard! Back the Patrona! Alright guys, see you soon. And we're back! We're back. we're back. We're back, baby. Expect up and throw it up. We talked about Harry Potter in the last segment. That was lots of fun. But now it's time to talk about John motherfucking McClane. Damn it. Die Hard. One of the, what is led off by one of the best Christmas movies ever. Oh, yeah. Ever of all and time, dude. Ever, with, ever. With, with four spinoffs. Let's just jump in. Let's just go right to it. No one... First of all, nobody knew who Bruce Willis was if you only watch movies. He had done the sitcom, right? He was doing uh, Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. That was the name of it, right? So this was his first big film. And this was also one of the very first really successful action comedies. Mm-hmm. And it might hilarious. still be it's the hilarious. definitive action comedy. Like, we're all just, we're just trying to copy Die Hard at this point whenever you're making movies like that, right? It's funny you should mention that. Yeah, hit me. I have a list. It spawned like ripoffs such as Toy Soldiers, Under Siege, Passenger 57, Cliffhanger, Sudden Death, Skyscraper, the 1996 one. Yeah, it's Die Hard with Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah. Executive Decision and Air Force One, and that's just like half the list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, like started a whole genre. And again, I don't think it would work. There's... So we're going to just rave about these movies. I know we all fucking love this shit, but there, it's one of those magical things, I think, Harry Potter. It's one of those magical things when... <laughs> I know, I know, that was a bad joke. <laughs> they found the right actor at the right time with the right script. Alan Rickman was fucking 
beautiful is the villain. I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But like Bruce mm. Willis is the only reason you watch these movies, right? Especially after number one, you're tuning back in to see what the fuck is happening. What inconvenience is John McClane doing now? And why is he going to have to? And as, as every movie goes on, first he saves the hotel. Then he saves the airport. Then he saves New York City. Then he saves the world. <laughs> yeah. You have to, well, you know what? They did a good job because you have to one up yourself a little bit. You have to scale up to, I mean, the first one, it's a huge terrorist attack that the first one is basically doing. The second one, I mean, go for the fucking moon. Like, <laughs> they, they, they tear this entire, not just the airport, the entire, like five mile radius around the airport they get in a snowmobile machine gun fight so all of a sudden they're at an airport then they go to a church and then they're like in this like, they they have sucked and every juice out most, of that lemon the most self-aware piece of dialogue ever as well like when he's running through the airport and he's like how can the same thing happen to the same guy twice <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i love and how that's what we're all thinking and they just put it right there for you <laughs> it's, a, it's such a funny shot he's standing there he's just standing completely still and he's like, how could the same thing happen to the same guy twice? And then he runs out of frame. <laughs> it's like, we really need this in there so that everyone yeah, will know they, they, this they is came, ridiculous. They came back three months after shooting, like Samuel L. Jackson insisted with the motherfucking snakes line. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, it, do- it kind of does feel like a put-in. They were like, we might need to make sure people know that we think this is ridiculous too. Uh, but, but honestly, they have fun. I, uh, the reminder, though, I that think it all comes fun. down. Tell a me, reminder tell that me. four and five are part of the series, by the way, because this first trilogy is is... Eden incredible. And if they had stopped there, whew, I don't know where we would rank it, they but sh- I don't know. I don't we'd, know. All, we'd all be happy. A good day to die hard, die bro. Hard. Really a good day to die hard. Came out on die Valentine's hard with Day. Vengeance is fun. 2013. Die hard. Die hard with a vengeance is fun. That die is the third one. I agree with you. Jamel Jackson's, yeah. but live free or die hard is a strong fourth movie, yeah. dude. That is the one it where he's a strong the independence movie. day it's- one. Yes, it's I mean, much better than five. Like, as, as, I, as I said, uh, well, everything is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Has a 15% um, rotten tomato rating. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> the yes, and that's high. <laughs> Dave, let, let loose. I, what are you saying, yeah. Dave, go for it. I, I, I actually, I bought this box set and I had, I was like, cool, I, I want all these. I've, I've seen one, two, three, and four. I'll get around to five eventually. And I just let it sit. And it wasn't until we were doing this that I saw five for the first time. Yeah. And it is a fucking travesty. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. I know it's so bad. Why is it in Moscow? Okay. I, okay. Giant but Courtney it's, really it's, thought it's this like, was going to be it. He was like, I am going to be the next Bruce Willis. <laughs> I know the poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, it's like, there is, I'll, I'll get to later, like all the things that um, were wrong with that film. Uh-huh. But it's, it's like they were trapped in the skyscraper in one. Trapped in airport in two. Trapped in a city in three. Loosely trapped in America in four. I'll go with you. What the fuck was five? <laughs> They're not trapped anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's an excuse. No, no, no. You, dude, you are totally fucking right. It is an excuse. It it becomes and you, you kind know of the a worst caricature irony of itself. The worst irony of that is that that was the only one specifically written as a Die Hard sequel. All the rest of them were converted from books or other screenplays um, that weren't intended to be a Die Hard sequel. Oh, and I have the so list funny. here. Uh, die Hard itself is actually based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Rod- Roderick Thorpe. Yeah, I knew um, that. Die Hard 2, uh, based on 58 Minutes by Walter Wagner. Uh, die Hard 3 was a film called Simon Says. 
it was meant to be a, a an independent film by itself um and they co-opted it for a Die Hard thing which was a brilliant decision in my opinion because one and three are my two favorites oh one three is so great and even Die Hard Die Hard 4 was a screenplay based on a John Carlin article a farewell to arms about cyber warfare which was supposed to be the movie uh world war three.com nice wow I saw that in the opening credits yeah yeah that that fell to pieces because of um I think it was around the same time as 9-11 and they weren't wow. really going to put something out like that. So they shelved it, and then they um, years later turned it into Die Hard 4. Wow. Good thing, the se- good thing mm. Die Hard 2 was before I'm, I'm, I'm glad they did, because like, it was a solid entry. You're right. It's a solid entry. 5 is really the only weak one. Good, good, thing, yeah, I mean, good thing Die Hard 2 is before 9-11, because I would have never gone to an airport if I had seen that movie. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I saw Jaws and didn't go in the yeah, water exactly. for six It was months. really the same thing. Yeah. Um, one and three are the best, right? right. Or one and three are the best. Uh, yeah. All right, go fuck I yourself. Don't I don't. Know. I don't even, just shut up. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tell you something about three. I, mean, I, I had I had years to love three. Okay, for before four. I grew up. Out, I grew so. up in the '90s. I Die Hard with a Vengeance is low key one of, if not my favorite action movie because it was on TV all the time. This, it came out in 95, but throughout the rest of the 90s, it has Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, two of the biggest movie stars in the, on the planet. And for some reason, it was always on cable TV, especially the sequence in Tompkins Square Park. I, I, I've definitely seen that sequence at least 10 times in my life. Um, <laughs> all the Fort Knox jokes. There are a lot. Like, I, I live in the city now. We all, all three of us do when, you know, assuming we'll go back when coronavirus hasn't, you know, wiped out the entire planet. But when... Whenever I'm stuck, where's John McClane? Whenever I'm stuck going between the park on the Traverse, I'm like, no, the fastest way downtown is through the park, and I just picture my cab going like off the road and into the park. The fastest way downtown is on Ninth Avenue. I remember these things: Wall Street, Fort Knox, the, like all of it. The, the FDR going north, and it's like, oh, they don't allow trucks going north. Like I know that now from seeing it in the '90s. It's, it is honestly Die Hard taught me these things. It is one of my favorite Samuel Jackson performances. The like the the white guy black guy buddy cop they have their differences like for me it wasn't white man camp jump it was this movie it was the first time that i was like oh oh this is <laughs> these interactions are, are are tricky i had no idea it's it, honestly it's say hey zeus it's one of my he said hey zeus it's, it is yeah. one of my you know what your problem is you're a racist what, what? it is one of my <laughs> yeah, favorite dude. samuel jackson performances he just grabs the police department by the balls he is so 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 good Half the, half the goddamn city just called 911, one of my favorite lines. Elvis Duran of the Z Morning Zoo is the guy that he calls. I woke up with Elvis Duran every single day. Like, all of this. And by the way, John knows this. I don't know if Dave knows this. One of my favorite actors in the entire world, in the history of film. John and, I, John and I came up with a list. We thought it was going to be a podcast. It was about six and a half hours long, so we never did anything with it. On that list... I had Jeremy Irons in my top 10 of favorite actors of all time. I love Jeremy Irons so much. No one has so ever much. worn. No one has ever worn a blue white beater better. Oh my god. Those sunglasses. <laughs> Jeremy Irons in the last half of Die Hard with a Vengeance. The dude. way he takes that jacket off and leaves it off for the rest yeah. of the movie. That tank top is incredible. You don't see him for an hour. I, mean, the, I think and you just hear his voice on the phone. The thing the thing that really the thing that really sells me on the first three as well is they're they're thoughtful they're thoughtful action movies. There's subplots and character development, and like in the first one, it's literally just him versus the terrorist with a voice to talk to. Single set piece too. And they have ups and downs and ups and downs, <laughs> and it's like 
you get character de- development from the the ground. You get character development from him. Um, it's, I uh, it's a right. level you don't see in action movies. A single set piece. It's so great. One night, one set piece. Hmm. It's it's great. All you need is a, a compelling it's person. It's twenty four before twenty four. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. right. It's yeah. like yeah. it's that same kind of thing. Like I, I always thought of what's his name. What is keeper? What's Sutherland Keeper. Keeper's Keeper name. Keeper Sutherland. Jack. What's his yeah. character's name? Anyway, Jack. Yeah, I always thought about Jack. But I always thought about John McClane Jack when Bell. I watched 24. Um, you're totally right. All right. I did rewatch most of these. Uh, I did not watch the fifth one. <laughs> Same. It's just, I, I, saw, I, I saw it on Valentine's Day. There's a fifth one? <laughs> but I watched one through four. And I had a great fucking time. Although I will say, as we have been talking about all these franchises, of course, I'm just constantly as i'm watching all these movies each week just trying to think like what makes what why are these better or worse than these other franchises rewatchability anyway so watching these i do think there is a an intense shift and i'm glad you read out that list dave because i totally forgot i feel like i knew that at one point about how most of them were written to be something else mm, there's yeah. a big shift from two to three and it's that his wife is no longer in the picture so he's not yes. doing it for his wife. They are totally divorced, or not divorced. They've been separated for a year at that point. And it's mostly about John McClane in the scenario. Whereas, I, if I'm being honest, my favorite part about one and two is that he's doing all of it to save his wife. Now, I don't know if that would be considered like misogynistic nowadays, I, like to say that, no. but I don't know. I feel like it does lose a little bit as it goes on. And we just keep seeing John McClane in a very intense, inconvenient scenario where he's the guy who has to fix it. I do say it, it, it might redeem itself. I love that section in four where, um, and with, uh, not with Avengers was the fourth live for your die hard where him and um, what's the kid's name? Justin Long, they're in the car, and Justin's like, how the fuck did you do that? Like, are you used to that? Have you killed people before? And they have that little speech where where, uh, Bruce Willis says, like, nobody else is going to do it. So that's why we're doing it, because I have to do it. And Justin Long says, and that's why you're that guy. And then they bring it in at the end after Justin Long steps up. That's why you're that guy. So there is a little redemption for the character that it doesn't matter if it's for his wife or for the country, or for the world. He is that guy, no matter what, he's going to fix it. But if I'm being real, I, mean, I do think it loses some of just, its emotional stakes. killed a helicopter with a car. <laughs> I know, I mean, it's just like one of the coolest <laughs> things of all time, but it does lose, it loses some emotional stakes for me as the series goes on, because yeah, I mean, he three, is not held accountable like, emotionally. Holly was still present. They were, they were constantly telling him to call her. Yeah, and like she's it was, a voice she on the phone. The he also didn't he, choose to he, do that uh, in three. Yeah, but he, he was forced he, into it. Yeah, in three. he also he wanted her back, but um, no. But like, it's like Fast and the Furious. I'm trying to think of other like shameless action movies, action comedies, the Marvel movies which we haven't gotten to yet. The thing that makes them elevated to much more than just action movies is when there's there's actually something to get emotionally invested in. I, think school, I will say when I was watching number three this past time. Saving the kids? No, it was definitely something, but I just kept thinking about how, my God, there were a lot of guns. That that was one thing that kept standing out to me. There was a whole lot of shoot 'em up gunfighting in one, two, and three, and mm-hmm. four. Way more in two. Two is I didn't watch five again. Two is wild. I think the, the thing I liked control, the most about dude. the thing that sold it most the most for me about three was that there were repercussions from one. Yeah, yeah. There, they whole, did. A lot of this this could have happened. 
at any point at any time, but he was specifically targeted because of what happened in one. That's cool. I do I really like love that, that moment like when Jeremy Irons says, you're right. He was an asshole. You got his number. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. talking about his brother. <laughs> oh, let's talk about this really quickly. I want to ask you guys. Harry Potter, Die Hard, I can't not think about it. Alan Rickman and Dumbledore have the same fall. They both have that great yeah. shot where they're both falling. <laughs> have you guys heard the story of Alan Rickman's uh, They also fall? do it again in five, Die Hard 5. They do the same so shot good, when the it's bad guy goes shot. off the roof. Fucking it's, love no, it. No, it wasn't. It was like, oh, God, you're trying to be, I don't know what. And it just doesn't work. John, tell the story. Tell the story. I've heard it. It's good. So Alan Rickman, they, they, they had done a few takes and they just didn't, they couldn't get the, the fear in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So the director goes up to the stunt coordinator and says, let go at two, not three. So they counted out action. One, two, they drop him. Yeah. And that is the real look on his face of terror yep. as he was released too soon. And, and it's him. fucking beautiful. Because well, it's in slow-mo, so like it has to be deep. It has to really be guttural. Um, back to How good is he in the first one? I mean... Honestly, there is no villain that you root for more, want to know more information about, but you know you it has to he has to die at the end more than than Alan Rickman. I, I can't the voice, the the presence, the crowd. And I think Jeremy Irons does a what really is Hans good Gruber's story. Jer- yeah. And Jeremy Irons does a really, <laughs> really good Hans job Gruber's with it story, in the third. Yeah. He does a really good job in the third one of having similar reactions on the phone. Like, I think John McClane says at some Jeremy. point, he's like, yeah, why don't I go ahead and take my truck and ram it up your ass? And jo- and Jeremy Irons is just like, how colorful. And it's like, it's exactly what Alan Rickman would have done. <laughs> yes. The same responses. Of course, the German accent just takes everything up a notch, like, with the two of them. You know, this movie is iconic when uh, Jack, Alec Baldwin's character on 30 Rock, has a quote. Oh, yeah. And Alexander wept, for there were no worlds left to conquer. <laughs> Hans Gruber, Die Hard. I mean, there's, there's, there's even a, like this. It's even generated like. Well, I mean, Harry Potter's generated memes too, but this one is the most famous one. Is it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber goes off Nakatomi Tower. (laughs) (laughs) So good. By the way, companies never have your company party on Christmas Eve. I know they just closed the deal. Don't do that to your... It's, come on, it's Christmas Eve. Don't make these people go to work. I know. Yeah. I know they just sealed the Dude, deal. Dude, his on. limo driver. Mm. The limo driver is hilarious. When he's oh, um, when he's dancing to the hip-hop and in the background, you see the car yep. fucking flying off the um, building and shit. Argyle. Oh, Argyle. God. It is funny, so funny tight. Story. Um, this is uh, one of my biggest um, brushes with fame, actually, involved Die Hard. Uh, it, I was um, the guy who plays the cop at the bottom. Carl Winslow movie, yeah. Reginald Bell Johnson, shout out! He's so Re- yeah, good. Re- Reginald Bell Johnson. I was going to a wedding out in Long Island City, and I we <laughs> caught a train out there and got an Uber to the <laughs> church. And the guy that picked us up in the church in the Uber to take us to the church, I kid you not, was Reginald's brother. What did he look just yeah. like him? He did. Just- he looks so much like him, and we had like. All these wonderful stories he told us while we were driving to this wedding in the snow. Does he know? Does Reginald Bell Johnson know? The closest I've got to anyone famous. <laughs> does Reginald Bell Johnson know how much he meant to us 
that paternal when he's on the when he's the only one talking to John McClane and they're, they're having the emotional thing. Every movie Ooh. fucks this up. Every action movie tries to sneak in. It's like, by the way, here's my emotional backstory. Um, I'm gonna say this now to alleviate some of the stress of the action that just happened and set up the action in the future. And I want the audience to root for me more. And the other character goes, I see what you're saying. Witty comment, reaction to that, more exposition. Let's get on to the final sequence. This like is the point of the movie in a way. The way that connection that the two of them have and the fact that they bring it up in the second movie and the way they do it mm. is so realistic enough for this kind of movie. And and like the jokes, the patter between the two of them, it's like it is it is some of the best considering they never actually share a moment in the they never share a moment until the very end of the first okay. one when they don't even speak to each other. Uh, until you see the smoke coming out of Reginald L. Johnson's sweet, sweet yeah, pistol. Yeah, it's touching, dude. It's really touching. The buddy comedy. <laughs> the buddy comedy. I mean, they fucking yeah. nailed it. Um, Again, that's what I'm saying. I feel like the first one did have... They had enough emotional stakes. I know it's a comedy, an action but, comedy, but like you cared a lot about their relationship. You you did. Yeah. And the thing that gets me about number five that pisses me <laughs> off so much and I'm, is I'm pretty sure they tried to do it again. Yeah. And I, I would love to get the screenplay from one and the screenplay from five and lay them over each other. And I'm almost willing to bet that the beats line up exactly. They've copied the exact beat structure from the first movie. Yeah. But just fucking failed abysmally. Take, take Deadpool for another weird, like, off-color example. Where it's like, they really only had one or two. They, they Deadpool had two. But this was one set piece, one battle. Deadpool had two. And it's like, I got an idea. Rather than overcomplicate it, which is my definitely my biggest fault with two, even though I do really like two... With 30 minutes to go, I was like, can you just fucking get there? Like, what is going on? Why are we still fighting? Why are there... There's new complications and a new site and more machine... Machine guns are really exhausting. Like, it, people making action Which movies... Which one are you, t- are you talking about? Five? No, I was talking about two. Two. Just, the machine gun, all okay. the machine gun, it's so exhausting to just hear those bullets and watch people fly and you're like, where are they right now? Like, what's going on? And whether it was in the airport terminal or at the church or on, by the planes or on the runway or in the baggage, it's just so much hecticness. Um, they did course correct really well going from one to three. So that would be my biggest complaint um, with two. So what I would recommend back to Deadpool and, and Die Hard 1, come up with the perfect sequence that's essential, the perfect fight sequence that's essential, and then try to flesh it out maybe from the inside that way. Because I think some of these action movies, and I think two is the fault. They had too many characters. They had the NYPD blue guy, but then they also had the other guy that was taking control of the tower. They, they just had too many like important people in too many different spots. And I, there was no way they were going to wrap that up. There's no way they were going to wrap that up seamlessly. <laughs> so in three, even though they didn't have, I like Holly, okay. even though I they like... didn't have, even though they didn't have Holly in three, they were able to get back to like single thing. Terrorist has a subplot, but um, John McClane, he's stringing him along bombs. Like it was, it was so much easier to follow. It was so much simpler. The buddies, the buddy and comedy. The buddy com- yeah, him I, and Samuel Jackson, yeah. that relationship is awesome. It really is. I got a big kick watching it this time, all of them. How every single time he kills someone in a fun way, and especially the final murder, it always cuts to him and he's just laughing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. He's just like cracking himself up <laughs> over how awesome it is that he just he just oh fucking did that. When Justin Long and Vengeance, when he's like, did you see that? He's like, I just see it. I just fucking did it. In, <laughs> in three, when he's in the, in the, 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 the dump truck, the garbage truck, and he asks the like the driver, like the actual truck driver, he's like, "Hey, you got a um, you got a truck driving suit?" And he puts it on, and he's walking up to the Germans, and he's like, "Hey, uh, we got yeah. a report of a big fat guy in a red suit." And then he just boom, 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 and just shoots them. 
And then the guy gets out of the car. He's like, wait, are these guys dead? And he's like, yeah. And he's like smiling. And he just gives the clothes back. Like it's totally normal. He's like, yeah, go ahead and do me a favor. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Yeah, he does. I mean, he was a New York truck driver. People. He was yeah. a New York truck driver. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't seen death. He's, he's or... seen that before. <laughs> very intelligent. Very intelligent New York truck driver. Um, Chuck A. Arthur. But, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, also, Five is the uh, Die Hard Five is the only one where um, he doesn't kill the villain at the end. And I don't think I'm spoiling it, but like, oh, of course, yeah. Jai, Jai Courtney does. And I feel like I the first thought in my mind was, are these motherfuckers? doing an attempt at a Shia LaBeouf fucking handover film. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, I think they definitely like, were. Shia was over, Although, so Shia you know, was crazy. over too, because he also tried I, to get I the love, Indiana I Jones love, series. So he's over too. I, yeah, I know. I, but I love I love Joy Courtney. Uh, I thought he was great in Suicide Squad, actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, for, what, for, what he, for what he played. But he is not fucking John McClane. He's not John McClane. They did need to hang it up, though. And I'm just going to give a shout out. It's not Die Hard, but... Bruce Willis fucking fo- I love that he followed these up with the Red series. Yeah, Red, yes. I fucking That's love fun. those movies, dude. It's like John McClane that had a little more training. So it's cool that they kind of went into those. Anyway. And retired. <laughs> and fucking, yeah. I'm back. Um, they pulled me back. They can't pull me back. Um, order, favorites. What do you guys, which one is, yeah, which one is your favorite? Uh, definitely number one, right? Number one is your favorite, right? Are you fucking crazy? Are you kidding me? Number one's not your no, favorite? I think number three, three is my, my favorite. favorite. What? Yeah. Yeah. Three, three, one, four. Number three has the highest tomato rating. Three, one, four, two. Yeah, we're yeah, pie. Yeah, no, no, no. But here's what here's what three has. If you look closely, it has a fifty one percent critics, eighty six percent audience score, or seventy six. It has a much wow. higher audience score. That's one of those movies where it was not ahead of its time because that that's obviously not the case because it's the third movie in the series. Just Sam Jackson, but, right? Because Sam Jackson. This, that's one of those yeah. things where they just he didn't realize. It. I, I, maybe the critics went in with you know what? Critics are tricky, right? They're finicky, and also they're I think they're. Right, look at Oscar season. Like everybody just goes with the flow. So maybe they just were reading the tea leaves or something. Like it doesn't make any sense why also, audiences liked what, it so much better than critics. What, what year was that made? 95. What year was Die Hard 3? 95. It came out in 95. 95. And it, 95 and it had CG composited graphics in yeah. it. Oh, cool. Like that's, yeah. Um, When he went to Harlem with the Fuck sign. yeah, Harlem, yeah. With, uh, with the, uh, the giant Don't N-word on it. And, I'm, no, I'm not going to say it. Jesus, that's not cool, man. Um, How did they put that in a movie? How did they do that? Yeah, I mean, well, they they certainly wasn't. They certainly weren't going to put it on a billboard out on the street in New York City because you just don't do that. And uh, so they CG that in afterwards. He was actually just wearing a straight white billboard, like a That's board. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I I, lo- I love three for other, and I just love this. It, honestly, it reads like a Clancy novel or something. Like the 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 point A to point B to point C, where you have to follow them, do this, but then there, there's like. The, is John McClane doing his heist thing? There's also, who is the terrorist? What is he doing down in Wall Street with blowing up in the Fort Knox? How do they get the things out of Fort Knox? What's going on with the bomb in the school? Like, it, it reads like a crime novel to me, and I, I really like that. Whereas one, again, the single mm. set piece is awesome, and it, it's great. Stay true to it. That's cool. But for me, it's just like a fun, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't use my brain at all. Not that three's a complicated movie, but it just, it just, it just adds a little bit more of, um, just, just the Simon Says, just the riddle element, I think, is really enticing for me. That was the one line I liked in Five. And it, it was like, what, this is about money? And he's like, it's always about money. Yeah, they always say, he's yeah. like, you think money matters while they're trying to take to, money? It was a throwback to every, every single yeah. Die Hard movie The first one, it's it. like, it's not about money, it's about power, but we're going to go ahead and take the $160 million worth of bail bonds or whatever. It's like... No, it was always about the money. Always, money is power. <laughs> like, Come on, get out of here. 
Yeah. How do you think they're flying that helicopter out? You think they're paying with handshakes? It's almost every movie they kill a helicopter in some way, that, shape, or fashion. The third one, too. it almost goes too long, but the way they blow that helicopter up is perfect. I yes. was like, please don't have. I don't to- know. Number four. Four's cool, man. Yeah, four was good. Four. Yeah, was good. when he takes Even- it out with the car. I mean, that's. Did you just take out the oh. helicopter with? Did you, Justin Long says, "Did okay. you just kill that helicopter with a car?" With a car. <laughs> yeah. In five, the boss fight at the end is with the helicopter, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The it's like fight, it's like that. Understand. It's like four. It's like four's helicopter's brother oh came back for a f- to fucking for fucking revenge. Um. Okay. So Alan Rickman, number one, um, supporting character for me, obviously Jeremy Irons is two. Any other shout outs? You got um, NYPD Blue in three. In two, does a really good job, although he's a pain in the ass the whole movie. Um. That's uh. What the hell is it? Dennis Franz in um Die Hard One. The other cop is. The guy from shit, Paul Gleason, who's is the cop. The um, mm. I forget what he's in. You've also got the guy from uh, Shawshank Redemption in two, the one who's um Maggie Q in four. The janitor, the janitor, the janitor Samuel Jackson. Like, we're, we're, give me some rankings. What, what do you think about these uh, supporting? Because great supporting casts. I I really I really dug Maggie Q in four. Maggie Q, cool. And yeah. Justin Long, shout she out to Justin good. Long also, as the nerdy Also, guy. four has one of my favorite shots as well, which is a stunt car shot. Um, during the car chase, they they actually have a a camera on like a flatbed, and the car comes out around the flat, like around the car, and the the camera pans around and comes in behind the car. It's one of the most like amazingly choreographed shots I've seen. Nice. Wow, mm. I think I'm gonna go Alan Rickman, Samuel Jackson, uh, Justin Long, and then Jeremy Irons. That's my supporting actor list. <laughs> Dave? I think I'm actually agreeing there. I'm yeah, agreeing on that one. I don't know. I feel like Sam is so good in it. He's just, I mean, it can't top Alan. I, honestly, mm. just the three of them, Rickman, Jeremy Irons, and Alan. That's that's hard. And Jeremy Irons. Justin and, um, Long did do a really good job, though. Sam. I was surprised at how much I liked Justin Long. I was He really, he did, he was perfect for it. He was really well I mean, well he cast. was an inch away from being a mega, mega, like, nerdy star crossover type. Obviously, he had the Apple commercial. He was huge in this that ten year span. Yeah. But he, he was. I'm sure he has a spot. very nice house now. Yes. I mean, Justin Long, if you're listening, I, we'd nice love to come over. Very nice house. But he was. Have you seen this is the end? Pandemic. Infamous. The way that Bruce Willis is. Have you seen this is the end? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where they like comment on it on his like <laughs> heyday. <laughs> Apparently, he like walked away. He like stopped doing that those kinds of yeah, roles. He didn't want to do them anymore. Yeah. I mean, he got fucking paid for Die Hard 4. You know he made millions of dollars on that motherfucker. I don't know. I don't good on know. Him. These movies he are did tricky. a great job. These movies are tricky. I don't know. I mean, if he did, good on him. I mean, those kinds of movies, right. when you, are, when you have like... the built-in IP, a lot of times the pitch is, I'm going to underpay you, but you're going to be in a movie that's going to be seen by everybody, so you'll be more valuable to other franchises. Like, I, I, It's, it's possible right. that he didn't make a million dollars for Die Hard 4. Here's our last. Here's our last question, and then we can cut out. Okay. What is your favorite Yippee Kaye motherfucker? What's your first, favorite number, boss killer? Number one for sure. It's the first the one. The second the, at the yeah. end of the movie. The end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last time he says it. The first one is wonderful. I fucking love number two, you guys. When he lights up the fuel on the runway yeah. and it blows that's up the cool. airplane, and he's <laughs> that's pretty fucking cool too. I remember when I saw that when I was a kid, and I was like. 
could that really happen? <laughs> that is awesome. Right. I immediately poured hairspray all over my driveway and like tried to light shit. <laughs> Come That's on. absurd. That's funny. John's uh, parents, like that there's a parental advisory. An actual... Yeah. <laughs> no, that happened. Scenes like that inspired an actual quest in the game Borderlands 2. You get a quest where you have to blow up someone's helicopter and you go and blow up the helicopter and there's a voice that goes onto your radio and says, yeah, before you blow it, when you blow it up, set the charges and then walk away in slow motion. It'll look really cool. He does a lot of... And it, it, that happens and you get an achievement. Wow. What's your favorite explosion in Die Hard? The, the unnecessary, oh extraneous, okay, unjustified we've, we've hit the explosion. We've hit the We're reaching out. Um, <laughs> the entire There's rooftop. There's so many. Things explode in these movies that don't have fuel in them. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there, are, there are fire bombs everywhere. Come on. There are fire bombs everywhere in these movies, and there's no reason why most of them should explode. The plane one and two. All right. Um, the plane one and two. I mean, the, that the is plane, The plane is really good. All right. We have, to, we have to wrap this up and get on to deciding, because uh, this is going to be hard from the sound of it, uh, which one of these is going to move on. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. We're back. It's time for the deliberation. We have Harry Potter and Ooh. all eight movies versus the five Die Hard movies. Bruce Willis, the franchise, John McClane. Whew. Yeah. Dave, tell me where, where your head and your heart is at right now. What are you thinking? What's moving on? <clears throat> well, it was, I mean, this again was the top one because it's two movie series I really love, like Harry Potter. Uh, is it eight films or seven films? Eight. Seven books, eight films. Oh, okay. Cool. It cool. was a seven I, part one, seven part two. Yep, yep, yep. Now, now you're right. Um, <laughs> I'm like, did I miss a film? No, I didn't. <laughs> I've seen them all. But I, yeah, I've watched these and rewatched these and rewatched these so many times. Um, it's really good. And like, I love that everything, like every character that's introduced is a piece of your puzzle. There's no superfluous extras and they deal with magic, love, death, dropping out of school, rising evil and time travel in one series. It has everything for everyone. And like, it gets a little more intense as it goes along. I like that too. I'm a grown up. You, my oh my God. Congratulations. Buzz yourself. Thanks. Buzz yourself. Thanks. Ah, buzz yourself. <laughs> Second start of the right, baby. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> You could almost do another set of movies of these from Voldemort's perspective. <laughs> like, you know, like they did with Half-Life. Like, you, you play Half-Life and then, like, you play through and then you play Half-Life Blue Shift and you're a different character, but the same thing is happening. You're just in a different section of the building. Do you feel bad and for I think, Voldemort? I feel like, we, I, I feel like we, we, want to need, we need another set of movies from Voldemort's perspective. Or Tom Riddle. And it, they'd, they'd just be, like, all these fucking tirades Poor exploding Tom henchmen. Riddle. Or Tommy. Like... <laughs> My my favorite character is McGonagall. Oh yeah, sure. Believe it or not, yeah, she has some of the best awesome. best lines. Like, it, protect our school. school. She comes to school in the first one. It's like five points will be awarded to each of you for sheer dumb luck. Dumb luck. Yeah. It's she almost like, goes Scottish or something compl- with it. It's a compliment sandwich. It's like I'm going to oh, compliment yeah. you and insult you at the same time, or like when, she, when they're arguing over Voldemort, and he's like, "You, his name's Voldemort, Phileas. You might as well use it. He's going to try to kill you either way." Dude, when like... she steps in front of Harry, when Harry steps out in the last one, and she steps in front of him and fights Snape, and he jumps out the yeah. window, and she's like, "Coward!" 
mind. He's like, fuck yeah, dude. McGonagall. <laughs> no, the yes. way she says it is so funny. Every, yeah, whenever so, she screams yeah, anything, I, it's hilarious. I, I love them. They have, they have werewolves. They have elves. They have, you know, it has everything. Yeah. And the so, way yeah, Snape I, I, comes in and out of being the bad guy. Yeah. Um, Back the, to werewolves because like I just watched six where he basically the jury outs Lupin is for being out werewolf. on that guy right to the end. Uh, number three, yeah, uh, the first moment you see him when he crawls out of the hole underneath the whomping willow, and they're like, "Look, look, look!" And Lupin is transformed, and he immediately protects the kids. He immediately mm. puts his arms around them and stands in front of him. And just God, the way they told that line all the way up until his last memories—it's just man. And it. And it's that, like I loved I love that it's one continuous journey from the beginning right through yeah. to where like you get the rising menace and then the menace comes out swinging in part four and from that point it's on and they're on the back foot and they've got to figure out how to defeat this menace that nobody believes is coming because they don't want to and it's a great continuous story even from the movie perspective where they occasionally you know leave some things out <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> fuck yeah absolutely but they have like. I would say the worst of the series for me is one. And I even like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good call. And then you get to die hard and I love die hard. I own die hard. I own all five of these movies. I, I love die hard one. I love die hard two a little bit less. I really, really love die hard three. Die hard four was a, a very, very good entry. And then you get to die hard five. <laughs> And the funeral pyre of five. the Die Hard franchise. Die-, <laughs> Die Hard 5 is a fucking travesty. Man, it's bad. I mean, <laughs> we're in the first five seconds of this film and they're using the shepherd tone. And it's it's like, for anyone who doesn't know what the shepherd tone is, it's, it's a continuous tone that gives the optical illusion of constantly rising to build tension. And they're using this in the first five seconds of the fucking movie trying to build tension. <laughs> There was no emotional. There was nothing, right? It was just. It was like we're just we're just looking at some random Russians. We don't know why we should be tense, so we're going to put this tone in there to make you feel tense and tell you what to do. Yep. There's no emotional circumstances. Okay. I agree. Yeah, Dave. Dave, you just re- really the, drank those sips. Those were big sips the, you just took. But <laughs> by the time you get to the end of this franchise, it's reduced. You punish yourself more than Dobby right now. Or <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Somebody give me fucking clothes. <laughs> They're so good clothes. at magic. Why are they punishing themselves? Dave, They're so sock. good at magic. Take my sock, bitch. Sorry. I'm oh, already a wearing sock it. means I'm brave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little... Okay, elvish rights. We love elves. Oh, sorry, Dave. Finish up. But yeah, by the time you get to the end of this franchise, it's reduced itself to cliche dialogue and car chases. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'll just stand up to them for Basically, a tiny to bit. Basically, to put it... To, no, to put it plainly... Die Hard 1 through 4 I like. I would rather watch Star Trek fucking Nemesis again than the last movie in this franchise. Now that's our last week's episode. Dave, did you just drink a full beer during your segment? You're in charge of the buzzer. I may, I may have. I, am, I basically, basically, fuck Die Hard Dave based on the last hard, movie. <laughs> Harry Potter Harry Potter is going through. Dave, I love Die Hard. Right I love, doing this to himself. I love all Therese, four Theresa. movies of the Die Hard. Therese! Good lord, Therese, Gypsy Flores, come on, Harry Potter, Potter all the way, Harry Potter, Harry fucking Potter, Jeff, hit me. I didn't even mention the scores. 
<laughs> oh my god the score is so oozy and also there's something christmasy so i i started rewatching these in christmas and then i, I went back and started rewatching the them again for this there's something about the it's it's not not the Hedwig theme which is that and then there's like a couple variations that they do on top of that the like they have these like weird fun like they seem very Christmassy honestly something out of Home Alone so you have John Williams and Chris Columbus teaming up Chris Columbus did ask John Williams to score Home Alone and just in case you guys forgot John Williams said yes to Home Alone for some reason. <laughs> Right around the time of Schindler's List, he said, Those "Oh yeah, kids. I'll do Home Alone." <laughs> yeah, he was like, "I got ET in the bag. What's next? Schindler's List? Okay, something else. What offsets that a little bit? Home Alone? Yeah, Kevin McAllister. Anyway, so <laughs> obviously, obviously the, the score, same music for all of them. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just the jingle bells that they obviously add, but like, anyway, okay, so yes, fucking shout out to the scores. Although, come on, Ode to Joy being done, and then when the Germans come and in, they do Ode to Joy done. in a minor key. They oh, just Jesus. make Ode to Joy minor. Just, did you notice that, John? Yep. It's just a fucking minor key ode to join. Shout out, so if we're going to talk about the scores, That's just so really funny. quickly, Andre de Splat's scores for the last two or three are magnificent. Yeah. I love the dark stuff. I love his themes greats. at the end. That's tough to fall into John Williams' shoes, and he fucking fills it up quite nicely. Anyway, keep going, keep going. Right. Um, so, sh- just, so we talked about this last week, and we talked about Star Trek having 13 films go up against Back to the Future, which has three. And my argument in favor of keeping the rankings the way they were is, look, if you want to make money, go ahead, knock yourself out. But if it's if it sinks the franchise, that's on you. But I, of course, understand you wanting to make money. And who am I to tell you you shouldn't make a movie that's going to make a billion dollars, I think was my quote. So with the Die Hard movies, they all, the first one quadrupled its budget, the second, well, 28 to 139. The second one, $70 million budget, 239 So you're talking about like tripling budgets, basically. And you know what? So a good day to die hard. The, the fifth, the fifth <laughs> die hard movie um, tripled its budget. $92 million budget. I, I don't know theater. what the marketing costs were. Yeah, it made $300 million. So it this the IP suffered. That yeah. It drew a plateau. If they made a sixth movie, it would not have made money. It's okay to find that. They all bought houses with making the fifth movie, and that's up to, that's great. But as far as the series goes, that's the risk you take, and, you know, it suffered, so they had to end it there. Harry Potter honestly could have made the sixth book into two movies and the seventh book into two movies, make nine movies, made another billion dollars, and they chose not to. And I think as far as the series goes... They win for that. It's it's currently right now the third highest grossing world like franchise worldwide. Um, domestically, I think Bond actually is higher. Um, and so right now it's Marvel Cinematic Universe, specifically the Avengers series, because they separate Avengers and X Men. The Avengers series is double and it, number two. So it's not even fair. They have they have multiple billion dollar movies. They have a two billion dollar movie. It's so unfair. They have two two billion dollar movies. Um, Star Wars just edges Harry Potter. Harry Potter is number three, and it's just these eight movies that doesn't count Fantastic Beasts. Context, ultimately, it doesn't matter. It's Harry Potter for sure, for all the reasons I said. I don't think there's much else that I, <laughs> there's not many other notes that I wanted to say other than I love Snape. The fact that he he's looming, and actually, I, I don't know, but in the movies, they do a good job of kind of letting him slide a little bit where you don't see him very much, and then he comes back. In the books, he's always there, and I think they do a pretty good job of that in the movies. And honestly, I was. I was curious going into the sixth movie. I really expected the fight. They cut the they cut the battle sequence out at the end of six, and everybody knows that. I don't mind it in rewatch, knowing that seven and then eight are coming. That it's basically a stark ending. They just killed Dumbledore. Spoiler, and then that's it. 
everybody saw that movie and everybody was pissed. Everybody's fucking pissed. But, but Harry Potter played the long game. And ultimately, in the rewatchability, it's really cool. There was a huge battle. But we just had a huge battle at the end of five. It would have been the same people fighting, minus Sirius Black. So it's like, ultimately, it's cool that Snape just stepped up to the plate and did that. Um, but I was really worried about the the backstory when you see his memories. And it's like, oh, he loved Lily the whole time. I really didn't think that was going to land. And Alan Rickman really fucking pulled that off. Because the sixth book is low-key one of my favorite books. Because you're reading Harry's journey. He's also a little bit of a loner. You also realize that like school isn't really what he thought it was going to be. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Wizarding school for seven years. Oh, that sounds really fun. And yet here's Harry. And it's like Voldemort's going to come. It's kind of like, honestly, it's not too dissimilar from coronavirus. You're like, I don't think there's going to be a next year. They say they say it early on, right? Draco basically says, like, I don't think we're going to be here next year. And so the whole time it's like, this is how Hogwarts is ending. And, and while that's the other thing I also, journal, say, I, also, I also love is Draco's journey. Because yeah. by the time he gets to the point where he realizes he's in over his head, you really feel for the guy. Like you hate him for the first like five yeah. movies, and they did a great yeah. job of that in the series with the parents ushering him back home at the end of seven part two. Mm. They did a what a journey from one where where his father, aka the villain from the Patriot, shout out, <laughs> um, um, Jason Isaacs. He the way that they take Drake, what a what a journey. Everybody has who was Jason journey. Isaacs um, supposed to play? Anyway, in a movie recently we were talking about, it was supposed to be Jason Isaacs. You said it on the podcast. Who were we fucking talking about? <laughs> Sorry to pipe in, um, but who were we talking about? It was, la- it was, it was no. last week. It was last week. The Star Trek versus Back to the Future. Who the fuck were we talking about? Anyway, it doesn't who matter. Who's he going to be? Keep going, keep going. I don't know. I just drank a beer and a half no, bitching out the last movie. Jason Isaacs <laughs> came up last week, and we were talking about how awesome he is. Anyway, keep going. Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. The, oh, the last thing I want to shout out is... Endless eternal thanks to the sacrifice. Yes, I know they're all wealthy now, but the sacrifice that the kids made, Ron Weasley, a.k.a. Ripper Grint, talked about how he wanted to leave the series because he went back to take finals one year and he didn't even know how to talk to his classmates. He basically realized, like, on the spot, on the day of a test, that he lost his childhood. And, like, his encounter of that is why. Also, the fourth the fourth movie is when it was it's when he had that growth spurt so he basically became a man and he was like he pulled he had like a michael jackson syndrome where he's like oh my god i I don't have a childhood so like the sacrifice that these kids made for this series i mean kudos i hope they know that it'll not just the ones that i mean i'm I'm so thankful if if you're listening uh come to new york i'll take you to disneyland I love you, Rupert. I'm um, not even. I'm not even kidding. I will take the guy to Disneyland. I love you, Ron. Anyway. Like, you just keep talking about yeah, that light yeah. in your heart, and I think she'll come around. Right, and and we know now, like, oh, they make money. They're they're actors. They can be in whatever movie they want. But they didn't make that choice. The choice was made for them, you know, in a way. And and really, they didn't. Besides Daniel Radcliffe, the other actors did not make as much money as you think for the first couple. It wasn't until the end. So obviously, they have money now. But the sacrifice that they made that, that was really, really, really cool. So. Shout out to them. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. I'm voting for Harry Jones. Potter, too. Definitely. No doubt in my mind. There's. I'm just going to cut straight to it. Way to build the suspense there, yeah, buddy. No, no suspense required. I'm definitely fucking voting for Harry Potter. As I've been watching all these franchises, as I was saying, it becomes more and more clear to me when you're... I know not everybody that's listening will watch them in the same way that we're watching them where you're we're, we're critically putting them up against other franchises i know you don't think of it that way but i do think that everyone who loves movies who likes to sit down and re-watch stuff subconsciously they know why they are re-watching certain things 
And when you're talking about comparability between something like Die Hard, which is tons of fun, and something like Harry Potter, there's absolutely no comparison because one of those franchises has emotional circumstances that are going to take you on a really intense ride. You're not just going to see action. You're not just going to have fun. You're going to be changed. I know that sounds, I know that's a little cliche, but that's what you want. That's true. Out of big monster franchises. If you're going to commit eight to 10 plus hours, you want something to affect you emotionally. You want to feel like I am, I am different than when I started it. Or if it's not the first time you've watched it, I have gotten that fix of coming into the first one, finishing the last one, and feeling like I went on a really intense emotional ride. And I know we... I'll tell you what, I'll let you know on one thing yeah. as well. When, I, when I'm working on a project that's like CG intensive, um, and me and John actually, like well, all three of us actually worked on a film that was very CG intensive yeah. recently. Yeah. And there was a lot of times where I was testing stuff, I had to render stuff, and like I was waiting for RAM previews and <laughs> stuff like that. And one of the... One of the series I went through was Harry Potter. Yeah, in the like just on the on the side monitor had that running to keep me going the whole way through, and it was my companion through a certain portion of that journey. So, yeah. So why do you, it, yeah? So it's why something you can? Why do you say companion? I love that you use that word because it, even just the even you just flippantly saying companion, there is an emotional uh, counterpart that you have when you when well, you tap the, into worlds. You're like the that. fifth. You're the you're the fourth person. Exactly. You're the fourth person in the group. You're there with them the entire way. Yeah. yeah. You grow with them. You kind change why, with them. It doesn't... It's kind of why the other characters don't matter as much, right? It's like you're one of the team. It's like you're, you're rooting for your team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they don't matter as much, but they all have a purpose. Like, er, every yes. single person that you come across has some purpose that comes out at some point. Yes, because, because, they, because they are them. It's not even because of... I mean, it is what they do, but it's not because of their archetype. It's not because it's not because of some crazy sequence that they are a part of that is very memorable cinematically. It's because of how they fit emotionally into Harry, Hermione, and Ron's life. And you cannot help but feel yeah. like you're a surrogate member of that ride. Again, like I was saying earlier about I come to it because I want to have the, the fun introduction to the world and I want to have the ending where they finally come through it. When you hit those key points along the way of, man, this is fun. This is getting scary. The world is never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And we may die having to try to fight this. When you finally make it to the end, I don't know, you guys. This week I was thinking a lot about how we said a lot of the same things in Lord of the Rings. We have had a trend going with this franchise face-off where we are every single time consistently leaning on the films that give us more of an emotional fulfillment. And I think well, that's, I mean, that's what they're for. Yeah. I, well, is that, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm realizing is that we're having fun mm. watching all these, all these movies. I'm, I had fun watching the diehards too. Yeah. But if you're, there is no Hopefully comparison. Other people are as well. Yeah. There's no comparison though. If you're talking Sh- about. Shout out to our two fans in Japan. <laughs> Japan. Yeah. Japan. What's up? If you're talking about. <laughs> Tell us where you're listening from and how you found us. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Please Sorry. reply. Cause I do want to know. But anyway. Yeah. So superfluous fun over emotional hero's journeys, which is most of the really good ones we're talking about, involve very typical hero journeys, style storytelling. There's absolutely no comparison. So I'm definitely going Harry Potter, Specto Patronum. I am Hal Slytherin. My Patronus... We're all Slytherin. My Patronus is a stallion. Get the fuck at me. 
I can't remember. I can't remember because I did the test on so many different accounts. You're Slytherin too, right? Account that I. Yeah, I was. I was Slytherin. Three yeah. Slytherins. Get at us. Did that surprise John? I'm not surprised. Dave, did that surprise you? No, no, really. No, no, we're all Slytherins. You know who else was a Slytherin? I I really thought I was a Hufflepuff. Fucking Merlin was a Slytherin motherfucker. So go fuck yourself. And Harry, Harry should have been a Slytherin. Harry should have been a Slytherin. Almost was. Next episode, (laughs) when we talk about Harry Potter, I really want to get into that with you guys because I think he should have been a Slytherin. That's my only ultimate criticism. This is like the plot against America. Philip Roth, we need to write Harry Potter as a Slytherin. I mean, that's the story. She (laughs) missed her opportunity. As Malfoy. That's the only thing thing that would make that story better. We're going to get into it, though. Harry Potter Potter wins. Harry Potter wins. Everybody shout out your favorite charm. Superfly. Like <laughs> okay, that was just John. We'll, he does a Patrona we'll, for like three movies. What's the one that, we'll, we'll chorus, what's the one we'll that Jenny that screams? We all what's the it. one that yeah. Jenny does? That that crazy one where she's like super strong and she hits the Death Eaters with it every single time. What's that? What's that charm? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? She's, it's like Jenny's charm and it's fucking huge. I can't remember. Jenny! Yeah, I can't remember. Harry Potter is moving Jenny's on. Just like, Jenny's just like wiping Harry's mouth every time she's like, it, they, they, that love sequence, they were like, they're going to fall in love. Where do you figure it? Where do you see it? <laughs> I'm very happy. I think now. we're all very happy. I hope everybody right. at home is very happy. Harry Potter is moving yeah, on. We, we gave away which way this was going like 20 minutes ago. I'm sure people aren't listening. Three anymore. to zero. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, if they made it through my rant about box office, I'm surprised no, that they're, they're, gonna, they're with us till the end. Jeff, tell me what's happening next week, dude. Next week. Oh, my gosh. I am oh, so no. fucking glad that you asked me about next week. Because next week is going to be a really good week where our seven seed, the Terminator series, okay. which does cool. include the new ones. That does, does. include the new ones. Yeah. I think I saw, what did I see the most recent one with you, John, oh, with Amelia yeah. Clark? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, no, the, no, there's another one after that now, isn't it? What? Oh, shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, okay, the Terminator. Okay, oh, first things first. There's no way we're seeing all of these movies, so we'll have to talk. But it's the Terminator against the MCU Avengers, the MCU Avengers series. So that is, there are 22 movies. 12, <laughs> 12 years of Marvel up against, oh, 20 years of Terminator. 22 it's, it's actually, movies yeah. of Marvel. It's also $18 billion in worldwide box office. I'm nervous. Growth. We're going to get, we're going to upset some people next fine. week. Yeah. We are going to piss some people off next week, dude. This is our seven against our 10. So it's right. pretty, pretty good. Well, uh, <laughs> good luck, everyone. Yeah. Um, Got a lot of watching to do. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. Have a good time. Peace.